We're going to have a little education session here, I think. We're going to talk about the notwithstanding clause. Do you know what it is? Honestly, do you know what it is? We've heard it, right? It's been talked about, and we have a vague idea of exactly how it works. It's basically a province saying we're going to do something that fundamentally, I guess, is unconstitutional. And um, we're seeing it happen more and more. Quebec and Ontario, both exercising it recently. But for such an important piece of the Constitution, the extent of understanding, I think, is a little bit lacking. And it is important to all of us. So we're going to have a discussion now with uh, a couple of people who know what they're talking about and recently put together a piece on how important it is and why it affects each and every single one of us. We're joined by Jason McLean, who is an assistant professor of law at the University of New Brunswick, and Carrie Ann Frock, an associate professor at the University of New Brunswick. Carrie, Jason, thank you for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so let's start. Who wants to give us a brief rundown of exactly what the notwithstanding clause is? What does it do? Oh, I'll take that one. Okay. Um, Essentially, the notwithstanding clause allows any legislature to declare that the, uh, the law operates notwithstanding certain rights in the Constitution. So those rights are those uh, in Section 2, like uh, our freedom of expression, freedom of religion rights, and Sections 7 to 15. So are th- those are our legal rights, the equality rights, etc. So it's uh, a limited uh, oper- uh, provision that says that you have five years uh, for the notwithstanding clause to be operative, um, so no one can uh, challenge that law or, or get that law invalidated by a court. And if the government wants to uh, reenact that law with the notwithstanding clause, it can do that after five years. But there is that sunset uh, limitation clause there. So essentially, it gives a legislature the right to bring in a law that is in violation of the Charter of Rights with a five-year window, right? Basically, that's Correct. what it is? Correct. Okay, Jason, why do we have it? Where did it come from? Why is this part of our Constitution? Uh, Thanks. That's a great question. There's a a variety of reasons. Um, There's no one single uh, origin story for this this provision, but uh, a number of of people across Canada, including various political leaders, were uncomfortable with the idea of unelected and often fallible judges being the last word Mm -hmm. on the interpretation of fundamental rights and freedoms, especially in cases where local political values might be in fundamental conflict. So the notwithstanding clause is, is broadly understood to have been um, uh, a device, which was also a similar device was present in the Canadian Bill of Rights um, that sort of assured uh, those who were skeptical of complete judicial rule of having a limited and um, what was what was contemplated at the time in 1982 to be something that would be a rarely used right. exception. Now, rarely used is is the key qualifier there because we're seeing it used. I mean, I'm not going to say every day, but we're certainly seeing it used more. Uh, recent examples in Quebec and Ontario, right? That's right. Yeah. 
And, you know, really what we say is that that new political culture that's come up is something that ought to be taken into account in um, determining uh, when and how a a court can review the use of the notwithstanding clause way back in 1981 and 1982 when the the notwithstanding clause was put in and you had guys like Peter Lougheed kind of making common cause with Alan Blakeney to say, that we should have a fail-safe so that if courts get it wrong and they interpret rights in a way that um, the people don't agree with, that um, we have this alternate measure. So back in the day, that's what it was really uh, to be used for, is this fail-safe. But is it being used that way? Is it it being used today the way that it was intended to be used, or is this an overreach that we're seeing in the recent examples? I think what we're beginning to see is uh, a change in the political culture uh, such that politicians don't necessarily pay uh, a political price for invoking the clause. And so a number of critics are are wary and skeptical of what appears to be the normalization of the clause, where it's being used more frequently and less controversially. Now, you guys have come up with a proposal of three what I think are relatively simple steps to try and make sure that the law is being used properly and appropriately, run through those for us. The first start is public notice that the government is planning to do this, right? That's where we start? Exactly. Uh, The idea here with Section 33, uh, and in particular, uh, the sunset clause, the idea that, you know, the laws that are passed using the notwithstanding clause are only in operation for five years, and of course they can be reenacted. That events the framers of the, of the charter, uh, the idea that there would be a built-in democratic accountability limitation to the use. So our proposal, going back to the Supreme Court of Canada's decision in 1988 in the case of Ford and Quebec, really draws on the, the insight uh, of the court, whereby the court said, what governments have to do is give their electorates sufficient notice of their intention to pass a law violating the Charter. We think that that decision is a little out of date now and needs to be updated. So the very first step, in order to make sure that the limitation on Section 33 is the the broader public, that the broader public has clear Mm -hmm. notice of the government's intention to pass a law violating one or more charter guarantees and that they have to clearly spell out those guarantees. And Carrie, that's just to start because once you've told the public what you plan to do, the other key part here is you want to hear back from the public. They should be allowed to have input into this law being deployed. Absolutely. Um, way back in the midst of time um, when Section 33, the notwithstanding clause, was first put in, it was assumed by the framers that that would be the case because the, the charter was so popular um, that there would be this large hue and cry in the public if the government tried to invoke it in the legislation. And, and just by virtue of the fact that a notwithstanding clause was in a statute or in a bill, that would be sufficient to alert the public and then we'd 
we'd have this big public debate. But as we've seen, that's not really the case anymore um, by virtue of the fact that, you know, the legislative process, politics are more complicated. Um, You have this uh, strain of populism where people possibly have a a distrust in the judiciary. So that's really what we're saying is we, we have to make sure and use other mechanisms now to bring home to the fact to the public that this is a serious thing. And we think that the public should be the ones that that have the last say on this. It shouldn't be politicians. It shouldn't be, you know, pointy-headed academics like us. It should really be the the people that that have that that, uh, ability to talk about whether this use is warranted or not. And that should happen before that law comes into effect. And you've both mentioned this uh, throughout the course of this discussion, the legal side of this, right? We need to have uh, a, 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 a thorough legal process involved with this as well. We can't completely discount that there are laws involved here. Well, that's absolutely right. Um, a number of uh, supporters of the notwithstanding clause misinterpret the clause as being a kind of independent charter no-go zone mm-hmm. within the charter itself. Uh, which is a, a self-defeating interpretation, uh, the idea that one charter provision could, and you'll pardon the, the pun, trump the rest of the, the charter provisions. So Section 33 doesn't create a zone where you know the, the charter doesn't apply, the Constitution doesn't apply, and that the courts don't have a role. But at the same time, it's important to understand that what we're proposing here is not that courts would have the power to put their thumb on the scale about the merits of the laws proposed by provinces and their rationales for infringing a charter guarantee, but rather the requirements that we're elaborating, building on the Supreme Court of Canada's earlier decision, are really procedural in nature, and they're meant to redirect the debate back to the public sphere, uh, civil society, the media, radio shows like the ones that we're doing right now, and not for the court to simply take over and monopolize the process. True democracy. Interesting. Fascinating discussion. Uh, We think so. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, because, I mean, it can be so powerful and so impactful, um, and the public should have a say in that. I mean, it's pretty hard to argue with that. I appreciate your time, guys. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks very much. We think it's an important issue as well, and and we're glad to have the opportunity to explain it. You bet. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate your time today. Okay, bye-bye. Carrie-Ann Frock, who is an associate professor at the University of New Brunswick, and Jason McLean, an assistant professor of law at the University of New Brunswick, talking about the notwithstanding clause, which we are now seeing uh, used more and more.